0: And Happy New Year. Year. How many of you, let's take a poll here. How many of you made it to midnight last night? Raise your hand. Okay, that's pretty impressive. Put your hands down. How many of you weak ones did not? Raise your hand. All right, yeah, there we go. Some are proud. Some are proud of their non-party animalness. And that's great, that's great. Well, it's great to have you here this morning. And oftentimes when we approach New Year, people come with new ideas and new year's resolutions. So what I wanna remind us of today is we're gonna take a brief break from our series. We're gonna be launching a brand new series next week. But today, I just want us to think about the idea that when we trust in Jesus, we are given a new identity. And that new identity is meant to change the trajectory of our lives. So what better way to start out our new year than to remind ourselves that because of Christ, we truly are made new. And my apologies this morning, our our technology over here isn't working for those of you that often follow along with the words. That means I will try to speak a little bit slower here and uh, well, you'll have to listen to me. So sorry about that, my apologies on that. So let's pray and then ask the Lord to help us as we dive into his word this morning. Father, thank you so much for your goodness and your grace. And I pray today as we open your word that you would remind us of who we are in Jesus. Thank you that there is power in the new identity we have been given through the work of Christ. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for each of the folks gathered here together. Thank you for Gospel Hope and Gospel Hope Español and First Baptist and I pray that these churches would all be saturated with their new identity in Christ this morning. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. On New Year's Day in 1863, President Abraham Lincoln announced the Emancipation Proclamation. This granted freedom to all the slaves that were in the Confederate states. But because of some evil slave owners that hid this fact, word didn't reach the slaves in Galveston, Texas until June 19th, 1865. On that day, 2,000 Union soldiers marched into Galveston and announced that the slaves had been freed. Today, this is commemorated by what is now a rightful national holiday called Juneteenth. Juneteenth. I tell this story because it reminds us of a significant truth, that there is great power in a new identity. In that moment, in one sense, those slaves went from being enslaved to being free. And that changed the trajectory of their lives. Immediate and radical transformation occurred because, in a sense, legally, their identity changed. In a similar way, when a person trusts in the work of Jesus, it's not just a ticket to heaven. Sometimes we think of that, like you trust in Jesus and you have this kind of like one-way ticket to heaven. But Jesus does more than just change our destination or our destiny Jesus actually changes us on a fundamental level. He doesn't just change our destiny. He changes our identity. Or if I could put it another way, Jesus does not just change where we go, but who we are. Jesus doesn't just change where we go, but who we are. Very famously in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 17, the apostle Paul puts it this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new what? The old is, oh wait, I got a different version here. Okay, and see, the new has come. But here's the thing, our new identity in Christ is not simply supposed to be a theological abstraction. As if God says, you are new, okay, I want you to know that, I want you to understand that, now go about with your lives. No, no, no. This newness, this identity that he gives us is supposed to shape our behavior. Let me explain. Most people who trust in Jesus know that they are supposed to do something when they, when they become a Christian, right? They understand that, man, you become a Christian and you're supposed to do something. So they start to think of like best practices and ideas that they're supposed to follow. However, this is not Peter's approach in this text or in the rest of the Bible, really. Instead of giving us three easy steps for growth, or seven habits of thriving Christians, Peter grounds the actions that we are supposed to take in our identity in Christ. Or as we like to say around here at Gospel Hope, simply this, our identity is meant to drive our activity. Let's say that together. Our identity is meant to drive our, one more time, our identity is meant to drive our, very simply put, You know, uh, Pastor Rod, how long have you been married now, Pastor Rod? Uh, 24 24 years. So, 24 years ago, Pastor Rod and Carrie had a ceremony that we call a wedding. wedding. They walked down the aisle and, in front of a whole bunch of people, they said, I do. And on that moment, Pastor Rod went from being a single man to being a married man, a husband. And in that moment, his identity changed. Guess what else changed? His activity. No longer could he just think about himself or what he was gonna do. Now, therefore, every decision that he made is in some way influenced by his identity as a spouse, as a husband. In the same way, when you become a Christian, Jesus doesn't just say, hey, one day, one day I'm gonna take you to heaven. No, he says, right now, your identity has been fundamentally changed. What you used to be is no longer true. Who you used to be is no longer who you are. And therefore, because of that shift in identity, you now have a change in activity. Got it? And that's exactly Peter's argument in this passage right here. Rather than saying, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, he says, remember who you are. And when you remember who you are, it will drive what you do. Which leads me to my point this morning, very simply this, we must embrace our identity in Christ. That's what I wanna encourage us to do as we begin this new year together to say, who are we? Embrace your identity, this blood-bought identity that all followers of Jesus Christ have been given. Now, I've got a few points here this morning and each of them are, are connected a verb and a noun. In other words, there's here's what you do and you do this thing because of who you are. Here's your activity and it's rooted in your identity. You tracking with me on that? So if you're taking notes, here we go. Identity-driven growth, several things. First thing is this, long, there's the verb, like infants. Look at passage, 2 Peter, or 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number one. So put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander in other words we are to repent of sin and change put these things out of our lives so clearly this passage is about growing and changing and doing certain things so peter launches into how this is achieved by starting out and saying hey y'all are a bunch of babies it's not very flattering but that's what he says here he basically says like i want you to repent of these things why because you are a bunch of babies well, what do you mean by that? Look at verse number two. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that, it may, that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. But Peter calling us infants or babies is not meant to be pejorative. Rather, it's simply to remind us that since we have been born again, we should now long to be satisfied with pure milk. Because we have been born again, we are newborn infants into God's family, we now have appetites for certain things. Or if I could say it very simply, newborns have new appetites, right? Newborns have new Appetites. And if you have been born into God's family, you should have new appetites. How many of you have ever seen a baby want to eat before? How many of you have ever seen this phenomenon? Okay. I tried to think of a, a couple of words to describe the way a baby wants or longs for milk, as the Bible says here. Uh, two words came to mind. The first one is this, fervently right? Like babies are not like, nah, I could eat or not. I could take it or leave it. No, they are like, I want it and I want it now and I want it bad. You know, they are, everything in their being says, I long for milk. I need to be fed. Like, I don't know very many adults that like, oh, you know, Eddie's cranky over here. Well, why? He needs to eat. We need to get him over here and get him some lunch. And that, Eddie doesn't get that cranky, right? But a baby, when they want to eat, what do they do? They just, they pitch a fit because everything in them fervently longs for that milk. You know what another word I thought of when you thought of a baby eating is this, constantly. You know how often newborn babies eat? All the time. Newborn babies do like three things, right? They eat, they sleep, and the other thing, right? That's it. I mean, their life is filled with like, i mean, they're eating, I'm sleeping, or I'm filling my diaper, that's all. And I think that's a beautiful analogy, not the filling your diaper part. But the Bible right here says you and I, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are a newborn. Your, your identity is you are like a infant, not a toddler, not a child, an infant, the passage says and you should long for pure spiritual milk like an infant does. Well, what does that mean? You should want it bad, fervently. You should long to be satisfied by the word of God fervently. That should describe your hunger, your desire for God's word. There should be a burning desire in you for the word of God. And you should also long for that word constantly. You should want it all the time. You should be desiring, you, you, can't, you can't go like a week at a time and being like, you know, it's okay. I was at church and I really wanted the word then. And then I, I went a whole week without it. No, that's not like a newborn infant longing for the word of God. You should in your life be hungering, longing like an infant for God's word. And what is the result? When this newborn infant longs for the spiritual milk, he grows. In fact, he can't help but grow. Why? Because the word has that effect on him. You ever heard the analogy, this book will keep you from sin or what? Sin will keep you from this book. Have you heard this? Maybe that's an old one because he didn't catch in this long. This book, the Bible, will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. Here's the idea. If you are constantly longing for this word, what begins to happen? Your activity changes. It begins to shape who you are. If you are in the word daily, if you are seeking God's face, if you are coming to church with a leaning in posture, a pen in hand saying, I just need the word. I need to hear because I'm a newborn infant. I am a newborn and I have new appetites. And the only thing that will satisfy me is hearing the pure milk of God's word. There are lots of things that we do at church and lots of good things that we do in church. But the most important thing that we do in the house of the Lord together is hear from God's word. We're built for that. So in this new year, church, let me encourage you, embrace your identity as a newborn. Long like a newborn in 2023. Just like that newborn baby wants milk, you should long for God's word. Amen? That is who we are. That identity, newborn, should drive our activity. Number two, not only should we long like infants, but we should come near like living stones. Now, this analogy is a little bit more complicated than the first one. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number four. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. You yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Okay, let me try to unpack this. Because of our relationship with Jesus, if you've trusted in the work of Christ, the analogy that Peter uses here is he's like, you are like a stone, that is being built together with other stones to build a house. Well, this spiritual house that's being talked about here in 1 Peter is an allusion to the temple. In the Old Testament, if you wanted to meet God, you had to go to the temple. This is where God lived. And so in order to come and see the Lord, you had to go to a physical location. And now what Peter is doing is he's shifting the analogy a little bit. And he's saying, look, the Lord doesn't live in a physical location anymore, but he lives among his people. You, brothers and sisters, you church are living stones. Daniel is a stone put here. And on top of him is Anna. And over here is Leroy. And as we are coming together, God himself dwells among his people. We are the temple. We are the place where God lives, not just as individuals, not just kind of like Jesus lives in my heart, like sometimes we say around the church, but the reality is Jesus lives among us, among his people. We are being built up into a temple to be the dwelling place of God. Why is this so critical? Because of Jesus, the Lord is accessible. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, very simply says it this, you are God's temple. Man, th- th- this is really an astounding reality because in the Old Testament, basically the temple was a giant keep out sign. Did you know this? The temple structure basically said this physically, you can't get to God because there were walls and walls and walls within walls and only the priest and only the high priest could get in there really to make an appointment with God. And now Peter tears that paradigm down. He says, no, 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 you church, every single one of you, if you've trusted in Jesus, you are now part of God's house. God himself, the creator of the universe has come to draw near to you. Come near to Jesus like a living stone. Huh. In the Old Testament, there was another analogy that was employed. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse five. You yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy, what's it say? Priesthood. So not only are you the temple, but you're also the priest. In the Old Testament, only the priest had particular access to God. And now Peter is saying, if you've trusted in the work of Jesus, you're not just the place where God lives, you are the people who get into God. In essence, he's saying you got a VIP backstage, all access pass to get to the Lord. Before that was unthinkable. Before, people couldn't just walk up and have an appointment with God, but now through the work of Jesus, when he died on the cross, that veil was torn in half. Why? So that you could get to God. The Lord is no longer aloof. The Lord is no longer untouchable. The Lord is no longer inaccessible. You, if you have trusted in the finished work of Christ, have access to the Lord. This is an unbelievable reality. Look, what Peter is saying here is a gigantic paradigm shift. Namely, anyone who trusts in the work of Jesus is a priest. I'm still not sure about that. That's true, Siri. I promise, I promise. She just said she wasn't sure about that. Okay, stop talking to me. All right. Anyone who trusts in Christ is a priest. Anyone who trusts in Christ is part of God's temple. Because of Jesus, listen, we can pray. You ever think of that reality? Like at the end of our prayers, we often say the little phrase, what? In Jesus' name. That's not like sincerely yours, signing off. That's basically us affirming that the only reason that we can get to you is because of Jesus. Because of Jesus, we can worship Sang this wonderful song, In Christ Alone My Hope Is Found. We are able to worship the God of heaven because of Jesus, because of Jesus right now. This is amazing. Right now, as I'm speaking, frail and inadequate and inept as I am, God Himself is speaking to you through His Word. The Bible says we have an advocate with the Father, and his name is Christ Jesus. So even now, the good shepherd is speaking to you because of Christ. We have been given access. So what is the implication? Draw near. Draw near like a living stone. So often we keep ourselves at distance from the Lord. We don't lean into him. We don't draw near to him. But what is Peter saying? Remember who you are. You are a priest. Remember who you are. You are part of the temple. Jesus died to give you access to God. Any Anglophiles here, anyone? Zero, this is wonderful. Let me throw this illustration out then. Everybody hates Britain here. Is is this true? No, ever? All right, that's true. Okay, well, let me tell you this story. You know, if you're an Anglophile, that means you love all things British, and typically it means you love royalty, right? Like you have this kind of like fetish for royal things. And um, you know, they just got a new king over there. Did you guys hear this? Okay. King Charles. And let's suppose you were just one of those people that just really like, man, I just love all that stuff. And so you're like, I am going to go to England. And so you go over to Buckingham Palace and you stand outside and you're like, oh, I'm so excited. And you say, King Charles, I'm here. What would that result in? Yeah, you'd be like, you'd be escorted away very kindly. It wouldn't get you to the king. But let's suppose one of the princes came down and said, oh, hey, I'm Prince Harry, come with me. And they walked you through the palace, they walked you beyond the guards, they walked you into the king's private audience room and said, this is my friend so-and-so, this is my father. All of a sudden you would be given access through someone else. Now, you would be utterly foolish if you were a person who loved all things royalty in English and be like, no, I'm good out on the lawn. It's close enough. I don't really want to like get in there. I'd rather be at a distance. Listen, friends, Jesus died so that you could come in the palace. Jesus laid down his life so that you could approach the throne room of God. You have been given access So draw near, come near like a living stone. The temple is not in Jerusalem. Listen, you don't have to get a plane and go to a little strickable land over on the Mediterranean Sea to meet God. You can meet him right now through Jesus. You don't have to take a pilgrimage. You don't have to climb a mountain. You don't have to do some special deed. You just have to trust in the finished work of God, of Christ and say, Father, and there he is because the temple is not a building, the temple is people, people who have been bought with the precious blood of Jesus. So come near like a living stone to God this year. Draw near, remember he is right there beside you. Number three, not only should we long like infants and come near like living stones, but we should trust like builders. This one's interesting here. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number six. For it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying a, in Zion a stone, a cornerstone precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for those who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. In the ancient world, like today in construction, One of the most significant building components when you're making a new structure was this idea of the cornerstone. It not only provided foundational support, but it also helped ensure that the entire structure was square and true. According to Peter, the true cornerstone on which we are to build our lives is Jesus himself. And if you build on Jesus, he will not disappoint. Your life will be square. Your life will be true. Your life will, will not crumble. How many of you remember the old little children's song? The wise man built his house upon the. The wise man built his house upon the. The wise man built his house upon the. And the rains came tumbling down. Rains came down and the floods came up. And Rains came down and floods came up. And rain flew down and floods came up. And the house on the rock stood firm. And then if you were like really spiritual, you had the verse that like unpacked it. So build your life on the Lord Jesus Christ. Build your life on the Lord Jesus Christ. Build your life on the Lord Jesus Christ and the blessings will come down. Do you guys have that one or no? Just me. Blessings will come down and the prayers go up. Blessings will come down. No, okay, you get it. The idea is this, when we build our lives on the cornerstone, our lives stand firm. But if you build your life on anything else, the foolish man built his house upon the sand, foolish man built his house upon the sand, foolish man built his house upon the sand, and the house on the sand went mash. And that's Peter's point, trust like a builder, You're a builder, you're building your life. You've got to build your life on something. The question is, what will your life be built upon? Will it be built on money? Will it be built on comfort? Will it be built on success? Will it be built on Madison Avenue? Will it be built on Wall Street? Will it be built on a political party platform? Will it be be built on an ideology? What will you build on? Because there is only one stone that will hold. Because if your life is built on anything... But his work, his priorities, his kingdom, his values, when the end comes, when the rains come, when the storms come, everything that you built on that is not Jesus will go flat. So Peter is saying, remember who you are. You are a builder. And there is only one stone that." counts and that is the cornerstone Jesus Christ here's the question friends are our priorities are our lives oriented around the cornerstone of Christ or does it look like our lives are built on something else and in the short term that might look slick your neighbors may applaud that your coworkers may think highly of you But when the rain comes, and let me say this, when the final rain comes, your house will not stand firm unless it is built on Christ and Christ alone. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame of mind but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking. What? Sand. Friends, our new identity is this. You are a builder, build your life on Christ. Finally, I'm sorry, not finally. Number four, proclaim like chosen people. Familiar verse here in verse number nine, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. So God brought us together. Why did he do that? Verse number 10, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you have not received God's mercy, but now you have received mercy. Brothers and sisters, none of us here are far removed from being helpless and alone. I've been saved for a long time and it is sometimes easy for me to forget what it was like before. Is that true for any of you? Any of you been saved for a long time and we forget, we forget that once we were not a people, once, and in the eternal scope of things, once was not a very long time ago, right? Because if we live 10 billion years, and on into infinity, a decade or 50 years ago is just a blip. Once you were not a people, once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Do you remember that? Well, what is the purpose that God gave mercy to people like you and I? Look again at the verse, verse number 10, it says this, or nine, I'm sorry, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possessions that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. You have been made a people to proclaim the excellencies of the one who rescued you. You ever met a brand new parent? like first-time parent. What does that first-time parent talk about? That baby. I mean, that's all they talk about. Like they, they, they are just like in love with that little bundle of joy. Those first-time parents, they just go, they gush, or even worse, you know what I'm talking about, first-time grandparents. You seen those folks? I mean, they're gonna show you a picture whether you want it or not. Why? Because they're just like, man, this this is a treasure to me. I love this baby. I'm so excited about this baby. Have you seen my baby? Because here's the reality. We proclaim our priorities, do we not? We proclaim our priorities. And God says here in his word, once you weren't a people, now you are a people. Once you hadn't received mercy, now you have seen mercy. And why did God do that? So that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. We should be so besotted with Jesus that we can't help but talk about him. You don't need an evangelism program in order to talk about Jesus. I'm not saying those aren't helpful. You don't need a simple gospel presentation to be able to talk about Jesus. I'm not saying that's hopeful. Those are wonderful things, but do you know what you need in order to talk about Jesus? You need to love him. Our problem with sharing our faith is not a head or hands issue. It is a heart issue so often. We are just not gripped by the fact that once we were objects of God's wrath and now we are objects of God's mercy. And if you just let that saturate your heart and mind, it begins to change your speech. It's gotta get out of you because we proclaim our priorities. So the reminder this year is, is this proclaim Proclaim like chosen people, proclaim like people who were not a people, proclaim like ones who have been rescued from darkness out of marvelous light. That is who you are. Now let that identity drive your activity. Finally, one more. Number five, abstain like sojourners. Verse number 11, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exile to abstain from the passions of flesh, which wage war against your soul. Put it simply, if you trusted in Jesus, this world is not your home. You don't belong here anymore. This is not where you live anymore. You know, in a couple weeks, um, Tricia and I are going to go down to the Dominican Republic and celebrate Saudad de Gracia's one-year anniversary. Amen? That's exciting. Yeah, praise God, praise God. Those of you that haven't been around, that's one of our church plants out of our church that we've sent out and planting in Santa Domingo. We're really excited to go visit them. You know what we're not gonna do? We're gonna go for about four days. We are not going to like get in our bank account and convert all of our money to pesos. We're not. We're not gonna like sell our house. You know, we're not gonna be like, okay, in our house from now on, now on no more English, only Spanish. We're not doing that. Why? Because it's just a trip. We're just going for four days. That's not really our home. We're just going for a little while. It's just a visit in one sense. So our whole lives are not gonna be oriented around that visit because it's just temporary. Santa Domingo is not our home. Atlanta is our home. And so our priorities and our activities are oriented around where our real home is. Do you see the analogy, brothers and sisters? This world is not our home. As Paul says over in Philippians, our citizenship is in where? Heaven. And if your citizenship is in heaven, your priorities are should also be from heaven as well. Your decision-making should be influenced by there more than they are influenced by here. And what Peter, the point Peter is making right here is that that should be clear to other people as well. You're just a sojourner. You're just passing through. This is not your ultimate home and therefore your priorities and life choices should be clear that this is not where you are from. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak evil against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on his day of visitation. In other words, you are living in such a way that it's clear where you're from. You know, if you go into a restaurant here in Atlanta and you're sitting down with somebody and uh, hey, what do you want to drink? And they say, I'll take a Pepsi. You're like, you're not from here, are you? We don't order Pepsi here in Atlanta. We don't order soda. We order a Coke. Now, you can have different varieties of Coke. That'd be fine. But you wipe that word Pepsi out of your mouth. You're not from here. Their speech gives them away, right? And the same should be said of us our citizenship should be clear. When people interact with you, when people spend any amount of time with you, they should begin to say, huh, they're not from around here, are they? Seems like they've ordered their lives in a slightly different way. Seems like their priorities and their goals are different. They are not from around here. So abstain, abstain from all the things that the world does like a sojourner because this is not your home. So where do all these new identities leave us? As Jason comes, I wanna close with this idea. Will you embrace the identity that you have been given in Jesus? (laughs) Will you live like a sojourner? Will you live like a chosen people? Will you live like a builder? Will you live like living stones? And will you live like an infant? Will you embrace these identities in your life? Now, no doubt if you hear these things and you're like, man, those have massive implications on how I live and they sound wonderful, but honestly, man, it sometimes sounds too good to be true. Man, like living in that type of countercultural way, I, I just don't know if, I can do that. That seems like crazy. How many of you have ever heard of the 17-year cicada? Ever heard of this? It's a bug. And what the cicada does, man, these things are ugly when they're pupa. I mean, they look like something out of a horror phone. They got claws. I mean, they're just gross looking little larva. They crawl up in trees and and they're just this gross bug that you're like, Ew, stay away. Then after they kind of fill their gullet, they go and they dig underground and they bury themselves for 17 years. They live the most boring life ever. It's for 17 years, they go and bury themselves underground. And then one day, I don't know, the Lord has some sort of timetable and he's like, hey, all y'all cicadas, wake up. And they do, they dig back out these gross little things and their shell splits open and out comes this locust looking bug with big old wings that flies really fast and loud. Now, imagine you're a cicada for a minute and you come, I mean, you've been this gross bug for all this time, for 17 years living underground. And then one day for some mysterious biological reason, you come up on the earth, your shell splits, and you're like, dang, I got wings. This is new. I'm used to like creeping around on the ground. I'm used to just laying under the ground for the last over a decade doing nothing. And now I got wings on my back. This feels a little bit too good to be but that is who they are. Regardless of how different it feels, regardless of how empowered they now are, regardless of how much they have been transformed, that is who they are. And brothers and sisters, Jesus died to make you something different. He died to give you a whole new identity. And yes, it's wonderful. Yes, it's different. Yes, it is far, far transformed from what you once are, but listen, because of the blood of Jesus Christ, that is who you are. If you have trusted in the work of Christ, stop creeping around on the ground. Stop burying yourself for the next decade. You got wings, fly. Live out the new identity you have been given in Christ. God didn't send his son into the world for nothing. He sent Jesus into the world, not just to change our destiny. He sent Jesus into the world to change our identity. And that, my friends, is who you are in Christ. Let me give you a couple applications as we close. Two things. We started with this idea of longing for the word of God, like an infant. Um, Now we want to start this year as a local body getting in the word together. So we have a couple of ways you can do that. I don't know um, if you have used the Bible app before. How many of you have done that? Okay, great. It's a great little tool. It's on your phone, on your computer. There's a Bible reading plan on there that as a church family, we're gonna be using. And if you look up on the screen right now, there's a QR code. I wanna encourage everyone to participate in reading the Bible together this year. Let's be people who are fed by the word. And a great way to do that is read the Bible every day. Now you might say, Ryan, I'm not a smartphone person. We've got paper copies. Uh, you can see Miss Lynn over here on your way out. She will have those for you. It's the same plan. We would love for you to read the Bible with us this year. This is who we are. We're infants made to long for God's word. Let's long for God's word together. Amen. Can we do that? Second thing I want you to do is this. I want you to just take a moment of reflection. I'm gonna ask Pastor Rod to come close us in prayer in just a minute when he feels is appropriate. Would you think about the identity that you need to embrace this year? Maybe you need to remember that you're a priest and you really have access to God. You felt distance from the Lord. Maybe you Remember, you need to remember that you are a newborn child of God who needs to be fed on God's word. Maybe you need to remember that you're a chosen people, made to proclaim God's word, made to share your faith with others. There's myriads of those in the Bible. I'd encourage you to just take a minute, talk to the Lord quietly. Lord, who do I need to remember that I am this year? What do you say about me that I need to remember? And if you wanna pray with someone around you, you're more than welcome to do that. But let me just encourage you, take a minute. Let's not let this moment pass by without reflecting on who Christ died to make us. And if you've never trusted in the work of Christ, man, we would sure love to have a conversation with you. We'd love to talk to you about how you can embrace this identity of being a child of God. Take a minute, talk to the Lord, then Pastor Rod will close us.
1: Lord God, as your people are talking to you, I, I come to, I think about all the different labels and identities that our world places on us, whether we're a nurse or a director, an accountant, a tax professional, a truck driver, a school teacher, a mommy, a daddy, Everywhere we go, somebody has a label for us. And that label solicits out of us a certain expectation that they have for our performance in this life. Somebody sees us as black, as sees us as white, as sees as male, as female. Labels, Lord God, abound in our world. They put us in categories, some of them healthy, some of them not, some of them helpful, some of them not. Lord God, we're not we're not against categories and labels and identities but we strive, O holy God and Father, and we fight and we long for the unique identities that you have given us. You have called us your children. You've called us a royal priesthood. You've called us babes. You've called us soldiers. You've called us warriors. You've called us brothers and sisters. You've called us your beloved called us joint heirs with Christ. You've called us your temple. You've called us stewards of grace. You've called us, Lord God, those who are, we are, we are co-laborers You've called us to be people who who take care of the gospel, who steward it well. You've called us so many things. Lord God, thank you for your labels. Because Lord God, every one of your labels comes with an appropriate amount of grace to live that out. It's not just something that you put on our necks or on our backs that weigh us down and that cause us deep concern, Lord God. They enlighten us. They lighten our load. They become like new wings. They give us lift. They give us capacity. They give us a a, a fresh appreciation of who you are. And so, Lord God, we come today praying that you would first and foremost give us fight. Give us tenacity. Give us, Lord God, a striving for, Lord God, your identity. Give us a new appetite to know who we are in you. And, Lord God, would you also give us fresh discovery help us to open our word and be found there regularly. Lord God, may we, may we find more, Lord God, may we find ourselves 100% through the lens of your word and not necessarily, Lord God, through the list given to us by social media. Lord God, I know that they've got semi-good intentions There are those who, want to influence and want to encourage and say great things, oh God, but may our identities be grounded in your word and not necessarily, Lord God, worldly ambitions. Clothe us, drape us, Lord God, in your identities. Lord God, would you you give us particular interests in the ones that we struggle most to put on? Lord God, you know our frame. You know all the identities that we would love to have because they seem to offer a prospect of a, of a future that we feel like we deserve or we think would be interesting or adventurous. Lord God, but would you also give us grace and strength and humility, Lord God, to walk out the identities that we don't necessarily like all that much? Lord God, we need you in this way, and we collectively declare our desire to have you work in us like this. Lord God, give us new appetite for your word, new appetite for your ways, and new appetite to learn who we are in you. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.